0: And Microsoft Teams is there to help us stay connected. Teams is the safe and secure way to chat, meet, call, and collaborate. To learn more, visit microsoft.com/teams.
1: It's time with Bruce Buffer. And now, it's time for the Voice of Mixed Martial Arts. We are
2: It's Bruce Buffer. Bruce Buffer. Buffer. From the shores of Malibu, where the waves are pumping, to the Great Wall of China, and back to the streets of Chicago, Illinois, where the UFC is coming. We are live. This is It's Time Radio, the show we talk about what you think about but may be afraid to voice. Do not worry. We will voice it for you. We talk about everything on It's Time. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, TV, film, UFC, politics, you name it, we got it. Lots to talk about today. A very special guest coming on the show. U.S. Army Ranger, reality TV personality, Nicholas Irving. Really looking forward to our interview with him. And The world has changed, and Microsoft Teams is there to
0: help us stay connected teams is the safe and secure way to chat meet call and collaborate to learn more visit microsoft.com slash teams
2: looking forward to saying hi to my co-host tj Desantis. tj how was the week that was and how are you today
0: uh great as always uh watch the ufc on saturday uh i mean everything was wrapped up by noon on the west coast here so had a pretty productive and normal day beyond that and uh yeah kind of a calm before the storm for me you know what that's like uh Get a few days here at home and then uh, on the road, back-to-back weeks. So uh, savoring the normalcy, I guess you could call it.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Well, without further ado, I want to take a little break, and I want to bring on Nick was serving. There's so much to talk about with him and news and stories, UFC news, everything. Heck of a show today, folks. Looking forward to this. Stay tuned. It's time for me to record for all the podcast listeners around the world, a personalized championship audio or video introduction. Special offers now are available at BruceBuffer.com, plus more personalized audios and videos for all special occasions such as weddings, birthdays, baby births, podcast intros, special business and corporate events, and much more as your wish is my command check it out let me do them for you go to brucebuffer.com and send in your requests now and now a very special guest for the show this week u.s army ranger reality tv personality a man who's done a lot in his life and we're going to talk about it let's bring on nicholas irving hi nick how are you not at all how are you a very good, very good. Thank you. I, I first and foremost, before anything and all we're going to talk about, I want to thank you for our, your service uh, to our country for all that you've done. We're going to inform the audience about it. But uh, I'm very respectful of the military. My dad being a marine and serving in World War II in Korea, and growing up with very much awareness about the military. I'm very much a historian uh, on past military uh, uh, throughout the history. You know whether it's. Uh, pack hundreds of years ago, or World War II. It's something I've always found fascinating. But most importantly, a warrior like you on the show. I want to thank you again, and let's get into it. How's that sound?
1: Thank you, thank you. Sounds awesome. You got
2: it. Very cool. So now you are a you were a formal special operations sniper in the Third Ranger Battalion for the U.S. military. Uh, you've served. You've done a lot of things. We're going to go over a couple of things there. You've also branched out, which I really admire and appreciate your work in tv and upcoming potential film and your books uh just to give the audience a little bit more background before you start talking you are the author of several books and several novels one being the reaper which is the autobiography of one of the deadliest special ops snipers that was a new york times bestseller congratulations on that um, Thank you. Thank al- you. also your military career uh during your military career with a book if i'm not mistaken titled the war on terrorism correct
1: Uh, I have The Way of the Reaper. Um, uh, It's pretty much an autobiography, a follow-up to uh, The Reaper.
0: Gotcha. Let me jump in here, Bruce, because it's kind of an interesting story on how uh, Nick got on the show. I went to Disney World, if you remember, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I never read books, ever. And for whatever reason, I typed in shooting or long-range shooting or sniping or something into the uh, Apple store uh, before I got on the plane, and I downloaded The Reaper. And I continued to read this book on the plane and then in every long line at Disney World, which is a very odd book of choice for the quote unquote happiest place on Earth. But why not? And uh, I was just blown away with with Nick's story and and his ability to tell the story. I have friends and family that have served and uh, a real good friend in high school was uh, a Marine uh, during Iraq and and he was over there and he, he just doesn't talk about it. So it was kind of therapeutic for me to understand you know, what my friend, not necessarily exactly Nick's story, Nick's story is a bit, you know, one of a kind, but, but to understand the environment and the elements that, that people that I know, you know, fairly intimately, some don't like to talk about. And uh, yeah, Nick, I was just blown away by your story, man. It was, it was really uh, done well. And and the way that you are able to be open about a lot of things, I I found it really refreshing.
1: You know what, Nick? It was, it was therapeutic on my end too. Many, many uh, yeah, I think well, two years to actually write that book. But I had a journal that started off before that that uh, I guess made its way uh, about for about a year prior to that. So three years total um, before that book actually hit the shelves and and was known. It it, it was a lot of uh, a lot of long nights, a lot of tears, and a lot of you know contemplation on whether I should actually put this thing out or not.
2: I can imagine the subject matter going through your head, the past experience is what you wanted to include and not include. Going back to what TJ just said, which blows me away to be honest, because I know he doesn't read books, because I came, out with, <laughs> I came out with my own biography about seven years ago. I don't think he's read that one, so oh, you no. got one up on me, Nick. You got one up on me, and that's oh, very man. impressive. Well, I'll Much read was, yours,
1: I'll read yours.
2: <laughs> thank you. Much was standing in line at Disneyland with a title on the book, one of the deadliest special ops snipers. I need that picture. I gotta <laughs> no, have that man. picture somewhere. Nick, I I respect your being, aside from everything, which I respect tremendously, being a sniper is something uh, on a Six Degrees of Separation I can respect highly. My brother Brian Buffer uh, is a SWAT team leader and served um, 25 years on the police force. Uh, And he was a SWAT team sniper, aside from being a leader also. And one thing people have to understand is that not everybody. Can be a sniper this takes a very very special human being i don't know if i'm correct on this but i would venture to guess just like the rifles you use not every rifle is perfect for a sniper i know that's the way it was back in in world war ii you know i read all this about the germans and how they tested their sniper rifles back then but would you is it what is the statistic out of all the people that would enlist is there a statistic for instance like one out of a hundred are capable of being a sniper and all that it takes one out of a what, thousand what is what does it come down to for something like that
1: um, throughout the entire army, I, I couldn't give you an exact figure, but for my unit uh, in, in particular, um, the special operations side, um, when I was getting or going through the selection process, there were about eighty-five, ninety-plus guys there. Um, out of those eighty-plus, eighty-five guys, only six of us graduated, and including one more that was a uh, uh, recycled. But so seven out of those eighty-plus guys actually graduated. That um, I joined the seventh or third Ranger Battalion and. Did a few deployments, went on to become a sniper, and we had a class of about 30 guys, and only 14 of those guys made it um, through our own selection uh, before going on to this mental evaluation, a long, long mental evaluation, uh, talking to psychiatrists, make sure you're mentally stable to do this job, perform the job, because it's totally different from you know, the job that I used to have as a machine gunner, an assaulter, uh, kicking indoors, and uh, engagements were typically around 20 feet uh, to about 100 300 yards things are you know you're looking through a magnified lens a scope at this point and uh you can see the whites of someone's eyes and at some uh some occasions and it's just a totally different way of fighting and uh went on to sniper school and they had about a 70 percent dropout rate out of that entire school um so the odds of becoming a sniper are really slim uh it's not all about shooting i always say that shooting is only 10 percent of that uh Ten percent of your job is being a surgeon with bullets. The other ninety percent is just watching, being an observer, being a good listener, and
2: being a good reporter. And I would venture to guess that you need tremendous patience being a sniper. Oh yeah. And like, I was the uh, longest you ever held a it. Kid, I was not a, a very patient child. Well, you know, live and learn, of course. But um, oh yeah. What, what's the longest you ever had to sit in one spot waiting? When you were, when, when you were not when you're training, when you're out there active, like position. Um,
1: yeah, the longest operation was uh, five days, the longest I've ever had to stay outside, uh, just under 24 hours. Um, I was pinned down for uh, about eight hours at one point, but that was totally different. That was just trying not to get shot and, and shooting back as best as I could. But I would say just under a day, 23-plus hours was the longest I had to stay sitting in one spot, prone.
2: right. And one thing people should understand, for those that haven't shot, even those that shot, I remember once uh, my brother came home with a with a penny that he put a hole through the middle of at 100 yards yeah. with the sniper rifle, oh, which yeah. is—that's a pretty good shot. But oh, the, that's a really
1: good the, shot. Oh, yeah. A You penny? would have to do— uh, A penny. Put a five penny, rounds TJ. in a one-inch yeah. circle at 100 yards, a football field away. I, I can't
0: put that many holes in a one-inch circle with a paper punch, let alone <laughs> a friggin' bullet. You'd be my surprised. Goodness.
1: It's actually it, it it is tough. I think it's uh, just aim small, miss small. That was the the mindset I went in uh, with. But my my idol was Carlos Hathcock, so I pretty much you know emulated everything that that I ever read about him and seen uh, or seen on a documentary film.
2: Wow! Right? Yeah, it's amazing, TJ. Now the other thing you got to understand too, TJ. I'm sure you probably already do because you're you were a hunter, you shot. But as a sniper, the adjustments for wind. Yeah. You're, your your point man that's giving you the range and, and everything is your job your point man that's sitting with you is that the proper term what is the term for the person who's with you your spotter is that it's correct spotter. yep yep okay so when he adjusts and he says okay 250 yards whatever um who adjusts for the wind and everything else is that you doing those calculations with your eye through the glass or how does that work
1: uh through the scope so if um uh, during training and stuff like that, we would have uh, we would train with uh, spotters. That's the traditional army way. But special operations, it's more or less you work. Uh, you're a spotter and a sniper all in one. You have to be trained in, in both jobs. So I would look at the look at the wind, at the grass, or feel it on you know my face or something like that, and get a good feel if it's you know three to five miles an hour, five to eight, eight to twelve, and a uh, twelve to fifteen, and they kind of uh, you know I would use adjustments based on those little. Um, I guess, uh, constants of, you know, wind speeds. And I would make that adjustment through a mathematical equation on the windage of my scope or looking through the scope, and they have these mil dot uh, reticles, and there's like mil radian circles on there, and they all represent a value, a numerical value. And I would plug that into a, a formula in my head and hold off that distance uh, and shoot the round. And hopefully, if the math is right, the bullet should catch the wind and the wind should push it into the target opposed to me actually shooting at the target or aiming directly at the target
2: amazing really and it's so intricate so so yeah. intricate now back in world war 2 when i was because i'm a big collector of uh, military from world war II and behind a lot of them oh, yeah. i've had a number of german sniper rifles the mauser oh, yeah. uh, action still considered to be one of the finest actions for a rifle around
1: some now, of the best snipers in the world of germans oh yeah
2: Definitely. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. My dad even wrote a, a movie and a book about it. Um, nice. It was, it was just, that's why I just had a lot of history taught for me from my father, which I carried on myself. Now, the, the Mauser K98 back then, when they tested them, they stated the fact that I think it was one out of every 200 rifles, it was either 100 or 200, was selected to be the actual sniper rifle. Was that still wow. something that has to be like each rifle? It's not just the man be, behind the rifle, but the rifle itself. Not every oh, yeah. rifle is perfect, or are they?
1: Um, no, uh, there's, there's so mass produced now and with budgets and, and budget cuts uh, back when I was in, uh, you kind of get with you, you know, kind of get, um, as long as it's within, they use a, a minute of angle, um, standard, uh, meaning that you can fit a five round group, uh, at a hundred yards, um, in a one inch circle and at 200 yards, it should be a two inch group and so on and so forth. Um, that was kind of the standard, but you would get one that would not necessarily shoot uh, to that standard so we kind of have to make do and learn that weapon.
2: And what caliber we select? 308 or what was your choice of caliber for a sniper?
1: I loved I loved the 308. I felt that I I understood that round a uh, little better than any other round that we had the 50 cal and the uh, 300 win mag. My um my teammate, my spotter, uh, the guy who would uh, deploy with me, he used a 300 win mag uh, bolt action rifle, which was a great round but just a little bit too much kick and and punch for me and I'm wasn't a fan of the bolt action uh, at the place we, we were deployed to. It was a, a lot, of, lot, of, uh, lot of targets to engage. Hey, if you don't right. mind,
0: Bruce, I'd, I'd like to sure, actually sure. take a, a second and ask Nick to tell a story from his book uh, talking about a spotter uh, who I believe uh, was a Mike Pemberton. Is that his name?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: I've, I've become uh, engrossed in, in the book and the stories, and there's a story uh, in the book where Pemberton falls down a hole and it's, it's, I think I'm understating saying a whole, can you go back and kind of tell us the story a little bit, Nick, because when I was reading it, it was just, I had to read it twice to to really fully understand what you were describing.
1: Oh yeah. The, the, the pit in the earth. Um, yeah. that was a crazy mission. Um, we ended up fast roping in on this mission on a, on a target to uh, walk in to assault this building where some, um, some bad guys were staying at. Um, And fast roping in, uh, we ended up, it looked like a big irrigation ditch, but this irrigation field was, it it, it made you feel like a dwarf. Uh, It was like 20 feet tall, uh, mounds of dirt. It was just a weird little environment. We start walking out, and me and Pemberton are in the rear of this formation, and we're walking towards the objective to go assault the target. And um, I look back, and he's there one second. I uh, continue walking, and I see this shadow. It appears to me to be a shadow or something just on the ground next to my feet or as we're walking uh, past this uh, little section of, of earth. And I look back again, and uh, uh, Pemberton's still there. turn my head again, and I hear this little faint voice. of. It sounded if an ant could talk, a, a bug or something like that could talk um, and say my name and say Nick. That's exactly what it sounded like, um, very faint. And I look back, and he's no longer there. So in my mind, I have no idea what happened. I thought that maybe, I, I, you know, he split off somewhere. I'm thinking he may have gotten, you know, captured, taken, who knows what. So I start walking back. Um, luckily, my ear protection had fallen out, so I was able to hear him um, on the fast rope, in. that's when you uh, slide down the rope of a helicopter um, using nothing but your hands and feet, and you're wearing about uh, 80 to 100-plus pounds of, uh, of weapons and, and gear on you. Hmm. Um, come screaming in, ear protection pops out, which was a good thing. And um, long story short, end up walking back to where I think he's at or I heard the voice or his last known position. And my feet come across that dark shadow again. But that dark shadow, as I focus in on it, night vision, and, and really look at it and observe it, this shadow is a, a huge, huge, um, you know, 20 feet, 40 foot diameter hole in the earth. And initially, I think that it you know it, it, it's it can't be that far down. I heard him or, or, or I heard something, so I shout down his name, Mike. Are you down there? And I can hear him, and I'm asking him, Hey, man, how far down do you think this is? And he still sounds like somewhat of a whisper. I think he's whispering because we don't want to get caught. This is pitch black night, and we're sneaking up on some bad guys. And he tells me that there's 10 feet, um, and we carry these ladders, uh, collapsible telescopic ladders that can fit into a backpack, and when you need them, they can extend to about 12, 14 feet. Um, I tell him to get his ladder out, but for some reason he can't, or uh, it's tied up. He's supposedly floating in water, from what he's telling me, and it's really cold down there, and it's dark. He doesn't know where he's at. He thinks he's fallen into a a, a courtyard of some building or something like that. Um, He lost his rifle, is what he tells me, and he only has his pistol. And I'm like, oh man, this could get bad. I think that You know, I'm thinking that um, any moment now I'm going to hear something or a bunch of people, you know, trying to capture him, and I told him, hey, man, if I hear any screaming or you scream, I'm going to start unloading my magazine out of my sniper rifle. I had a semi-automatic 308, and I was just going to dump 20 rounds directly in the hole and pray to whatever and, and hope for the best that I would not hit him but only hit everything around him just magically. But in reality, I would, you know, kind of hope that I would take him out too. I didn't want to see him... Uh, you know, on CNN or, or Fox News or something like that or YouTube with, a, you know, uh, a, a sad story and, and his head be, or being beheaded on, on TV or something like that. Um, he tells me 10 feet. So I start kidding after his, he tells me that his ladder won't work. And I'm planning on jumping down there. So I call up and I'm telling my commander, I say, hey, uh, we have a man down. And he takes a moment. and He's like, I didn't hear anybody get shot at. We didn't get shot at on the way in. Um, who's hit? How do we have a man down? And I'm like, no, we have a man down in a hole and I need help to come get this guy out. And he's like, all right, we'll just get down there and and get him. We have ropes to be fast, fast roped in on, um, just hop down there and get him. He's going to send some security, um, that I asked for so I could have somebody watch my back while the rest of the guys go to this objective, um, and continue on with the mission um, as this guy's coming in um, to assist me, give me some security. He pauses me before I'm taking this leap of faith out into this dark abyss, and he says, "Let me drop a um, a Kim light. A uh, Kim light is a light that you can snap and uh, drop down into a dark right. environment, and it's just a, basically a glow in the dark stick. Right. And uh, after he drops that stick down, or the the Kim light down there. Uh, It kind of fades, 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 fades until it becomes a little faint little dot of light and continues to fall, fall, fall. I'm like, whoa, that is not 20 feet. And he looks up at me with wide eyes, and he's like, oh, my gosh. And we asked Pemberton, hey, man, can you see what we just dropped down there? And he doesn't see anything really, and he finally – we get his attention to where up is. He's so disoriented, and he can see something, a faint little thing of light uh, we can't see down there. Um we ended up calling for extraction after uh we tried to bring this big rope back that weighed a couple of or a hundred plus pounds and Tuamley's trying to drag this rope back while I'm covering him with a sniper rifle, talking to Pemberton in this hole who's now going through hypothermia because it's it's uh it's extremely cold down there, he's what he's saying, and he's floating and um holding on to something, a piece of wood or something, a ladder is what he says. Um mm-hmm. We call in for an extract after we find out how deep this thing is and how bad it is. I'm freaking out because uh, this is—I have a fear of heights and a fear of uh, uh, dark spaces and claustrophobia. Um, so I'm going through with what I will be going through in my mind, and you know I'm terrified for him. And we finally call in an evac. These guys go down—PJ's um, pararescuemen from the Air Force, some of the baddest dudes on the planet—and they. Failed the first time, the, the rope was not long enough, and they had like a 40- or 70-something-foot rope. I'm not too sure, and they had to fly back, uh, get a different rope, come back down, and they ended up bringing some scuba gear and stuff like that. Um, they go down 70, 80-plus feet, finally uh, finally find him. They didn't think he was going to live. Uh, they don't know how he lived. They get him out, and as his helicopter is hovering uh, over top of me as they're dropping this uh, rope down, I don't think they saw me. Um, laying right next to this big big hole because uh, they were you know I looked up and they were hovering over top of me I'm thinking they're about to land to lower these guys in right on top of the hole and um, the hurricane force winds underneath the chinook her- helicopter start pushing me towards the hole so I sprawl out like spider-man and start digging my fingers and boots into the ground before I you know fall into this hole and and that was a uh, one heck of a uh, you know experience to, to go through but he finally uh, he gets out I catch up with the rest of the guys, provide cover for them, and they blow open some doors, capture some guys, and we're still trying to collapse this hole because he has sensitive items that he left down there, um, weapons that had equipment that we didn't want the enemy to have and, and stuff like that. So we have dropped a few grenades. We had some uh, AC-130 drop howitzer rounds, uh, 105 howitzer rounds on it, uh, to try to collapse this big hole in on itself, and the grenades were blowing up like, uh, you know, just a quarter of the way down, a fraction of the way down, uh, the entire distance. And talking to the PJs, uh, one of the guys swam down there on this little um, uh, one-cylinder uh, apparatus that he could, a uh, scuba apparatus, and he was running out of uh, oxygen on the way down. It was like an additional, you know, 40 feet plus that Pemberton could have fallen into. And the whole, whole uh, I guess, tunnel system or, or uh, a hole in the ground ended up being you know, 100-something-plus feet is, that, you know. It's crazy. There, and wait, wait, 100? About 80, 90 feet of that on a free fall wait. and walked away with the, a little chipped um, injury, and, and that was it. But his M9 Beretta, was the pistol itself was bitten in half, and his oh, helmet wow. was cracked, or had it in it. his Kevlar bulletproof helmet. And his and that body would... armor was intact, but he floated the entire time.
2: That's crazy. For hours, yeah crazy that's just wild did
0: did you ever find out what it was nick Because i mean the only thing that my mind could think is that was a a
1: missile silo i have that's you know that's a well i haven't even i haven't heard that one that could be even more i don't know i have no idea i have no idea i think the. that would have to be one large missile which missiles i don't know that's just a i have no idea no idea that was a a hole that I'm still trying to find on the map to this day. Right, yeah. earth or something. I mean,
0: Bruce, I, I literally had to read that story multiple times to really wrap my head around the fact that this hole is that big and a man fell down it and only broke his leg. Like, no,
2: that's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Now, now, I know I understand about not leaving weapons. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a fascinating story. Not leaving weapons for the enemy to have. Uh, can you say on the air specifically why, what and why uh, were the items you did not want the enemy to get a hold of?
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much um, night vision and how snipers and how we see at night and engage our mm-hmm. targets. Um, right. If the enemy had that capability, it would kind of be a... Uh, it would even out the, the battlefield just a little bit. We'd, they would be able to see us just as good as we're able to see them. Um, imagine gotcha. playing laser tag um, with red lasers, and you know exactly where the other person is at because you can follow that laser beam back. Um on today's battlefield, they don't have that capability because of you know, for gen- generally fighting uh, poor nations and and third world countries and stuff like that. So they don't have that technology. But the day we fight someone with night vision, it's going to be a crazy, crazy, crazy fight. I would not want to be any part or anywhere on that battlefield.
2: For quite I before. can abs I can absolutely imagine. Now, you know, your foray into the books, your foray into TV, into reality TV. Uh, what you've done, your the Weinstein Company originally acquired the television rights to make a miniseries out of your autobiography. Um, NBC, I understand, I'm reading for your Wikipedia. They picked it up, and then uh, you revealed on a on a podcast later on the series had been scrapped, uh, and that it was in pre production. I hope you do get that movie to film that your book to film to tell your story. I would love to see it. Aside from the fact I'm going to read your book, um,
1: I, pre- I have to read yours now too. I appreciate it.
2: Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I, mine is obviously called It's Time, so <laughs> makes it easy. But um, with that being said, I have a question for you because – and I'll give you a parable – not a parable. I always use that word. I'll give you an example here. My brother, when he watches movies that involve police, that take themselves seriously, he's he's – ultimately extremely critical because he just can't avoid it, you know, because he lived that life for 25 years. I'm sure when you see a film depicting the military, especially the conflicts that you were involved in, I would assume you get a little critical or you maybe just let it go with dramatic license and you'll probably be on top being the consulting factor on your film. So it's done right. So I want to give you a few films which you may or may not have seen. And just tell me if you think that these really depicted properly um, military snipers. Let's start off with an older one the original film Sniper that starred Tom Berenger
1: love it Did love you... that
2: movie
1: um no I, as much as I love that movie gosh I grew up watching that um right but no no
2: okay next Mark Wahlberg's shooter which the first scene had you know military uh, uh operations in it
1: oh yeah we're getting better now uh, that's a there's certain aspects of that that are that are accurate and then mm-hmm. there's definitely some that are not like where he shoots the can and where he dials in the scope and all that stuff and shooting his, uh, the position he was shooting from, I would, that's just not happening.
2: No. And what about, what about in the beginning when he's um, siding down with the 50 Cal on the helicopter coming after him?
1: Uh, shooting at the helicopter? Yeah. You know, I think that is, that could probably happen. I'm, I'm pretty sure you could down a helicopter with a 50. Oh yeah.
2: Okay. Uh, where would you have you to have it,
1: right? some crazy, crazy, yeah, scenario and playing out in front of you? But it could be done, I think. Hell yeah!
2: Okay. And then last but not least, Bradley Cooper's American Sniper.
1: That's better. I think that depicts the aftermath more, uh, better than it actually depicts the the, the combat. Um, there's right. certain things in in the in the film are combat scenes that are you know 100 accurate, but. The aftermath, uh, the back home uh, portion, is probably the best depicted, uh, you know, on film, you know, that I've seen uh, when it comes to that. Best war film ever, though, I would have to say, um, uh, Marcus the Trails movie, Lone Survivor. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I just watched yes, that. Absolutely, I
0: watched that yeah. last week.
1: And oh yeah, uh, that firefight ooh. scene. My unit was the unit that went into uh, rescue them. Um, that the terrain was a hundred percent um what it looked like in Afghanistan in that area and the firefight scene is you know just about that was as realistic as I've ever seen and can relate to when it comes to a firefight and the emotion within it too of you know small team of guys you're about you know you, you know you're going to die or you at least you're surrounded and you have to fight your way out that is a that emotion was 100% there
2: I think story has it that uh, uh Peter Berg, who I know that directed the film, the super fine director and very, very oh, yeah. uh attention to detail, but with Marcus being the um the consultant on the film, there there was a rumor once that he basically told Peter that in essence he better tell the story correctly or there's gonna be issues, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Marcus is a big guy. I don't yeah. I don't want any of that. No.
2: No, I don't either. I've met Marcus. He is a big guy, and he's obviously a very dangerous human being, but he's been oh, through yeah. a lot. So I'm with you on that. That film, I've seen it three times and just glued to the screen every time I watch it. Exactly. Pretty basic. Oh, yeah. Okay, another uh, a, a weapon. I have a SOCOM 308, the carbine mm-hmm. model. Is SOCOM the sniper rifle that you would use from time to time?
1: Not the one I would use um, while I was in the military, but the one I would use today.
2: And why is that? Brian loves it, too. Why is that?
1: I love the ergonomics behind it. Um, uh, uh, I, I love everything about that rifle, um, just the way it feels. I'm all. I, I think that a rifle should be like an extension of the body, and Correct. if I get behind a rifle um, and it feels that way, just ergonomically, and it feels like that extension, I'm already married to it. And it's a 308, which is a round that you know I've mastered while in the military, and I think that it's a great round out to 975 yards on a good day uh give me the right density, altitude and temperature, then a thousand uh, eleven hundred on a really, really good day. But uh, I this is an all around great,
2: great, great weapon. TJ, you hear that? A thousand yards, TJ. You're not safe at a thousand <laughs> yards. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. Think about that. It's incredible. Oh yeah. Now in two thousand sixteen um, you were one of four military leaders to serve as coaches on the reality show American Grit with John Cena. But then in 2017, a film that I thought was a very fine film, The Wall, which is with John Cena too, that you were the on-set advisor for that film. Now, did that, you're working with Cena, again, come out of your work with him in American Grit, or did somebody else come to you and say, we need you for The Wall?
1: It did. uh, Me and John, actually, we formed a pretty good relationship on on American Grit. I still talk to him to this day, and um, he, I guess, he he had a pitch for for that movie, and the only sniper he knew at the time was was me uh, coming off of American grit and it originally started. He wanted me to come down and, and help him out with the script on, you know, reading certain lines and, and things that he would say. And then it kind of manifested into him introducing me to uh Doug Lyman, the director and Aaron Taylor, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, um, who I still keep in contact uh, with this day. And um, before I knew it, I was the onset advisor.
2: Good for you. I, I, that film, was he did first off John Cena did a great job in that film
1: I know I, it was I'm amazing a, I know it, it was a different amazing. I've never seen John like play a role like that and being that 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 vulnerable you know uh I guess yeah uh, a vulnerable, uh, vulnerable position um, on film and it was uh, intriguing to see in that, and how we would get into that you know state of mind and the emotion behind it it was a really really cool scene cool stuff very
2: yeah, very cool. I highly recommend that to our listeners, you know, listening, The Wall with John Cena. John Cena, coming from the ring of the WWE, going into film, he proved himself to be a fine comedic actor. He's proving himself to be, as in this movie, a range of an actor leading into drama. So I'm actually becoming a big fan of John Cena's work in film, most definitely. Oh, yeah, he's
1: getting, he's getting yeah, 100% uh, WWE to, to where he's at now. It's night and day, but he's, he's excelling.
2: Exactly. Well, from the uh, the grit of the uh, Middle East to where you are now, I think you're excelling quite a bit, too, Nick. <laughs> I think you're doing a well, great I'm, job. I'm,
1: trying, I'm just trying to fulfill a few dreams, hopefully.
2: Well, why not? And listen, all respect, all praise uh, for your service again to our great country, your service in your career and your future. I'm not saying goodbye to you right now. I just want to pay homage to what we're discussing, and I encourage people to read your book, The Reaper, the autobiography of one of the deadliest special ops snipers, which is a New York Times bestseller. I am going to be buying it on Amazon after this uh, interview to read for myself. I get plenty of time to read on planes, and I'm going to eat this one up. I'm going to really look forward to reading this.
0: How, how re- is no UFC fighter being called the Reaper, by the way, unless I can't? Remember no, has Oh, it has. Who? No,
2: yeah. Who? Uh, no one? The, 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 no, the Reaper. It's uh um the one who's fighting bare knuckle now, uh from up north. Uh the the ultimate fighter guy. The ultimate fighter guy, bare knuckle. Uh, I don't know. Give me a minute. Uh, I'll figure He col- out. colored his hair red at one point, came out. He's up from uh Chris Washington. Leibin? Yes, the no, Reaper Leaper. is that his name? He's the Crippler. The Crippler. oh okay.
1: So no Reaper well, yet. I don't know if They're- UFC is for me. That's that's a brutal, brutal sport. That's I don't know. I love just boxing. Bring
2: your, just but, bring your soaker. Oh, just sorry. Bring I, your soaker.
1: I, I forgot. <laughs> the, the, they, they call Robert Whitaker
0: the Reaper, but his, that real, was it. That his, uh... his real nickname is Bobby Knuckles. You don't get to pick your nickname. I'm sorry. I know he's all respect right. to the UFC's middleweight king, but uh, I'm sorry. You don't get to pick your nickname. And, Nick, you didn't you didn't give yourself the
1: nickname the Reaper, right? No, that was my my spotter. He was an older school type guy. He was a little older than I was, and he reminded, uh, uh, brought up this conversation of uh, we were sitting outside one day, and uh, an assaulter walked up, and he was saying, "Hey, man, you know, I heard you have X amount of kills," and it was like being the angel of death. And Pemberton reminded me of, or brought up this song by the Blue Oyster Cult I had never heard before, Um, never heard of the band either, and it was, uh, "Don't Fear the Reaper." And we ended up putting that on his little DVD that we had, a deployment video, and in the background we're playing uh, Baby Don't Fear, Fear the Reaper, and that's what uh, that's what the guys called me after that.
2: How appropriate. You never heard that song? Great rock and roll song. Needs so more I Calvo. To it, And it's on my playlist uh,
1: wherever I go now, too. It, it is one of my favorite songs. I
2: right, Two questions. It's more cowbell,
1: but it is one of my favorite songs.
2: <laughs> two questions before we move on, because you mentioned boxing, and there's a story obviously happened this weekend I want to cover with you, but... Uh, if I may ask, and you don't have to answer, first off, how many kills do you have, and is it documented that you can say, or do you not like to say?
1: Uh, the ones that I have documented are 33 in three months, and total, um, no idea. I know that I've done six deployments, and out of all those six, there was one where I never pulled the trigger, and mm-hmm. the remaining five, I pulled it quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And I was a machine gunner during a time when there was a lot of people that, a lot of bad guys that needed bad things to happen to them. That was an interesting, interesting place to be. But I never for really you. kept track during that time. It was only as a sniper.
2: Good for you taking care of business with the bad guys, Appreciate as it. I say. You know, watch out for the bad guys. Um, not oh, making yeah. fun of that. Just really just blown away. Now, do you personally ever suffer from any PTSD from all you went through?
1: I did when I first got out. Um, I guess that was a lot of trying to find myself and, and where I wanted to fit in with, uh, you know, society. I was eighteen or seventeen when I enlisted. Uh, I was eighteen on my first deployment, and at this, when I you know left the army, I was twenty-four. I got into private military contracting, went back overseas, and woke up one day and I was supposed to supposed to leave to get on this airplane to fly back to Baghdad. And I sat in the bed and I just said, "No, I'm not. I can't, I can't do it anymore." And had to figure out how I was going to, you know, pay for a mortgage that, you know, I just bought this, you know, new house and uh, a car note and all the things that come along with adulting and, uh, you know, no job. And all, all, the only thing I knew how to do at the time was, you know, pull a trigger and, and perform a job. And uh, school was not one of my strong sets uh, at the time. And I had no idea where I was going to be at life. So it turned into this uh, self-medication of, Uh, a lot of bad things and found myself outside one day with a a pistol and and a round and had a long talk with myself. And uh, Mm -hmm. luckily that that did not play out the way it, you know, initially, uh, the the thought in my head and and I decided to start writing uh, a book. And I sat down with uh, some about, you know, a few cases of of beer and, and Jack Daniels and I did not leave the computer room for quite some time and I didn't sleep. And before I knew it, there was a, a, a journal of all the things that I had been through and things that were bothering me that had kind of, you know, kept me up at night and put it on paper and decided to self-publish it on this little small website and um, that helped out a little bit and went through a few more things and uh, that didn't really, you know, pay for the bills. A, a few people only bought the book and I woke up one day and there's a car that's missed the car that was supposed to be there was no longer there and I had a foreclosure. You know, notice a, a proceeding about to happen, and needed something to happen quick. so uh, it was a, a a long journey of being in a dark place like Pemberton was, but uh, luckily, things I just kept fighting, and uh, you know things worked out.
2: I'm so happy they worked out. I definitely am. And, again, much praise to you and, and respect, and I mean that so sincerely. Let's move on to a little bit on the boxing, and I'm not treating what you just said lightly, only because I just want to keep you on the, on the, on the phone too long here. Uh, as much as I'm enjoying listening to everything you're saying, we could talk for hours, I'm sure. Um, you're a big boxing fan, is that correct? Oh, yes. And she saw this weekend uh, something happened, reminding of when Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson, when Cassius Clay, right. you know, slayed Sonny Liston. You know, yeah. we have Andy Ruiz coming in against Anthony Joshua, twenty-four to one underdog, oh and my he gosh. Tw- and he took Joshua down. It was the it was the highest odds in a boxing match I think since Buster Douglas at forty-two to one.
1: Oh wow!
2: Uh, against Mike Tyson. Okay. And to watch no, him, the speed that he fought with probably made about four hundred thousand, give or take, for that fight. While Joshua wow. probably made in the area three to five million, you know, give or take. Who knows? Uh, it'll mm-hmm. come out. Now Ruiz, so happy to see, he's going to take care of his mom. He's going to make millions on his next fight. Joshua, not the biggest uh, premier debut to a certain extent to American boxing fans, but he'll be back strong. So, did you watch that? I did. I did. It's crazy, huh?
1: Not only crazy, it, it, it was so unexpected, it, it, but it's also one of those life stories that I kind of, you know, it's a feel-good story. It, it really yeah, is a feel-good yeah, story at the end of the day. I mean, you know, it came down to the seventh round, and, you know, true, true heart, I think, really displayed. I think a lot of muscle memory actually displayed, too. You know, it's one of those things that I mean, the guy's been fighting, you know, since he was a little, little kid, and uh, pure heart and muscle memory something that he's been doing for, you know, a little bit longer, uh, paid out. And not just paid out in a, in a small way, but geez, he, dude, I mean, <laughs> I would have probably quit after the second knockdown. That those little yeah. those hammers did not look, uh, did not look polite one, one
2: bit. It was so reminiscent of Rocky one, you know. There just you well, he go. Yeah. yeah. they're giving him that whole Rocky type uh, uh, feel to it with everything that mm-hmm. happened. Another thing that came out of it is Drake, you know, the popular. Uh, entertainer celebrity Drake, he was in Anthony Joshua's corner. Now they're calling it the Drake curse. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but I'll tell you why. Anthony Joshua lost to Ruiz with Drake in Anthony Joshua's corner, basically. Conor Mm -hmm. McGregor lost to Khabib Nurmagomedov with Drake in Conor McGregor's corner. He was on stage for the weigh-ins at that one. Sergio Aguero missed a penalty in the Champions League versus Spurs soccer game. Drake was with him. Serena Williams lost in the U.S. Open. Drake was supporting Serena. And the Kentucky wow. Wildcats did not make the finals. Drake was supporting the Wildcats. So they're calling it now the this Drake, is a Drake curse. curse. It is a, a curse. Drake curse. It's the yes, Drake curse. Yes, it is. Yeah. Crazy, huh? Wow. I know. Wow. I, think what? I would like to see, I don't
1: know, I think that, uh, we'll see about the NBA finals, where they lead, uh, where they tied right now. If this happens and Drake is there and Toronto seems to lose, then... I'm going to go 100% with the Drake curse. Uh oh. when it comes to the boxing, I would like to see this I would like to see Deonte Wilder fight. Uh, I was going to say Josh at first, but I take that 100% back. Um I don't know. I think that he still has a lot to be to be seen and, and tested um in his, you know, in the heavyweight division. I'm not sure. I I think it would be a good fight to see, though. Definitely a good fight to see.
0: Are they? I no, I think just, aren't they just going to run it back, Bruce? Isn't that how it normally works? You pull off a huge no, upset like this, and you don't think there's going to be a rematch? It's got to. You know, well,
2: here's here's the thing. There's talk about a, uh, there might have been a rematch clause in the contract, which I mean maybe another fight come towards the end of the year. But it hasn't been documented that I've you know, been reading and on uh, the internet yet. And again, you've got. Deontay Wilder in the background you know the, the heavyweight division of boxing has actually become interesting by per, exactly. because of the personalities of all for the first time in years in years and now the rumor has it through some contacts I have and don't quote me okay it's a rumor that Vladimir Klitschko is going to come back why will Vladimir Klitschko come back even coming off his dynamite performance in his last fight that was a perfect time to retire he'll wow. come back because there's money there's big money now in mm-hmm. this game big money And not that it never was before. He always made big money. But now boxing heavyweight is big, big money.
1: I mean, Anthony Joshua, who just took the big loss, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury. Jeez, it's a power. Yeah, I mean, it's better than it was a few years ago, or for the last few years, when you just had one or two guys there. Um, This is almost like reminiscent of close to the, 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 the Tyson era, where there was Lennox Lewis and all those guys, you know?
2: Yeah, exactly. And uh, for me, even though I'm working the same night as the boxing matches are happening, I got to watch a post, but I'm oh. still a huge boxing fan. I, I, I love boxing, no question. Oh, yeah. Mar- Marcus of Queensbury, Marcus Queensbury rules. All right, a couple of news Man. stories we'll, we'll go through with you here next. First up, oh, mm-hmm. excuse me, UFC, we just got back. I just got back from Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, Alexander Gustafsson has announced his retirement. I know mm-hmm. he's a, a successful farmer and does quite well for himself outside of fighting. TJ, I just got to say, I'm one of Alexander's biggest fans, always have been. Uh, one of the most polite, respectable UFC fighters to walk into the Octagon. And I just want to commend him on his lifetime of fighting in the UFC. Uh, it was exciting out of action in Stockholm. I want to thank everybody in Stockholm, Sweden. Beautiful country, wonderful people, polite, great food, everything. Just a wonderful experience. Can't wait to go back. If we go back, <laughs> you'll, go back. you'll go back. You'll go back. I would think so. I mean, I d- d-
0: granted, he's Mister Finland, but Amir mm. Macwani, uh, you know, Ooh. he uh, he put on a hell of a show, and I, yeah, Sweden's a market I don't think the UFC is going to give up on uh, anytime soon. Also, real quick, I-, I hate to say this, I'm sorry, I don't want to, you know, rain on his parade, but I don't think we've seen the last of the Mauler. I think we'll see Gus back, like you said, Bruce. There's just too all much right. money involved, and, and in combat sports. You're retired until you're not and uh, give it, you know, six months. Gus is going to watch that light heavyweight division uh, develop a little bit more. And he's going to go, I can beat that guy. Let's go. And he's going to Yeah,
2: it was an emotional moment. It's always an emotional moment to lay down the gloves real quick. Coming up in Chicago, UFC 238 to versus Marais. Um for the bantamweight title, which is now vacated due to T.J. Dillashaw being out. Uh, the women's flyweight title, Jessica I and Valentina Shevchenko. Um, and again, a fight that I think is the fight of the night, Donald Cerrone and Tony Ferguson. Oh, man. Can't wait. Oh, Can't, yeah. wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. And then we got R- Tui. Oh, go ahead. Wait, we-, we tied Tui Vasa coming back, always entertaining, uh, coming off a loss against uh, Blaggery Ivanov. I'm not familiar with Blagoy, I don't know how to say his name perfectly yet. I will. Um, Nina Ansaroff, Tatiana Suarez, Algermaine Sterling, Pedro Munoz. Need I say more? Ricardo Lamas, Calvin Cater. Right. Cater? Right. And just, Hello?
0: Can, just cancel all your plans because Friday night, Invicta FC is live on UFC Fight Pass, and you can yeah, hang I'm out back. with me and Julie Kedzie as we uh, we watch some flyweights of our own as Deanna Bennett takes on Karina Rodriguez. So, uh, yeah, a lot of combat sports coming up this weekend. But uh, that UFC card? I was talking to Anik earlier, Bruce. Uh, I said it to him. I, I firmly believe it. International Fight Week is in July. They usually say one of the biggest cards of the year for that week. And don't get me wrong, 239 is a hell of a card. But 238, in my opinion, damn near rivals it. We have two titles on the line. You mentioned Ferguson and, and Cerrone. Uh, they,
2: they could charge me 90 bucks for this event, and I'd pay for it. Um, you know what? They can charge me 90 bucks to walk in the octagon and announce it. I'm going to pay for it. Are you kidding? <laughs> I can't wait to see this. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'll pay to see myself on TV for this one. Jeez. All right. That that being said, um, now let's talk about a little report UFC-wise. You're probably both aware of this. Joe Romero was awarded $27.45 million in damages following a successful lawsuit for the tainted supplement he, take, he took. Let me just say this. We're all excited, and I am excited for him. I'd love to see him get his $27.45 What I want to tell our listening audience and those on the show with us today, meaning you two gentlemen, there is a big chance he won't see anything. Right. The reason why, it's a small company, and that small company, as a result, and I'm not an expert in accounting, they can just go file bankruptcy and right. Yoel will not see a dime.
0: Yeah, yep. and, and yep. I mean, that's that's the best part about a limited liability company, right? But yep. uh, here's one thing to keep uh, your eye out on and, and why I think this is a bigger victory for Yoel, even if he doesn't get any money. It's redemption. It's vindication. He tested mm-hmm. positive. Uh, I mean, when you look like a Greek god— like Yoel Romero, uh, oh God, yes. I mean, he that, right? People are questioning already the fact that you know he went through the process, but with both USADA and and now the legal court system uh, to get that you know clear, decisive victory in court. I think says something uh, about him as a person going forward that that people need to sort of understand. They need to ease back on what it is they, they actually think about him um, because he's been vindicated in court now, too.
2: Well, look at other... Uh, Nick, your question in one second. Look at two other people that wish they had their name in that title. Anderson Silva, John Jones. Oh, yeah. You know, that they wish they had. Go ahead. What's your question, Nick?
1: Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't have it. I was just agreeing, yeah,
2: 100%. Oh, okay. Okay, hey, cool. Uh,
0: yeah. Real quick, uh, Yoel Romero's next bout, it's going to be a grappling uh, contest, and it is a week from this Saturday, and I'll be on the call down there in Florida. So... Uh, you can check that out. It's going to be, uh, I don't know. It's not on Fight Pass. its I think it's like are you Live, it's called. But uh, the main event, uh, Jorge Masvidal, uh, he takes on uh, Anthony Showtime Pettis in a grappling yeah, match. Yeah, so.
2: I want to watch that. That's going to be awesome. Oh. I'd like to announce yeah. it, but I'll be busy. Okay, cool. Uh, let's go through some quick news stories before we let you go, Nick, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. uh, let's, first off you know, the mule with uh, Clint Eastwood. I don't know if you saw the film that just came out. Clint Eastwood at 85 yeah. years old, directing and acting and just doing an incredible job. I thought it was a very fine film. And then I read this weekend, a man dies on a plane. A Japanese man died on board a flight from Mexico City to Tokyo. He had 246 packets of cocaine in his stomach. Oh, my gosh. 246 packets. And the crew noticed that he was suffering convulsions. They requested to make an emergency thing. landing. A, the paramedics boarded the plane, and he had already died. He uh, died from cerebral edema from the overdose because the pack is busted. Oh my!
1: Oh my gosh! Is it that bad. important? How do you get
0: through oh. security? Like I left a, a stick of gum in my pocket the other day, and all hell broke loose.
1: You yeah, know, like, I don't see how you can get uh, through security at this point. No. Well, uh, no. This, here's Our, another the dog way: sniff, uh, the dog sniffers that, that would be able to smell drugs or paraphernalia or something like that.
2: Well, you're right, and it's a common way the smugglers move illicit substances from country to country. You get this, and, so, and this is proof of what you said. Yes, security could find it. In 2016, a 48-year-old Australian man was caught with 2.4 pounds of cocaine in his stomach at the Sydney airport in Australia. They got him, right?
1: How do you eat that? I mean, golly, that's just ah, – that's, that's taking a huge gamble. Uh, the acids and stuff like that in your stomach, I would always be in fear that they would bust at least one and set off some big chain reaction. And that's oh. inevitable. I mean,
0: not not to be cute and funny here, but I'd be worried about it coming out, too. Not only just going down, coming out. Like, Oh, I for,
1: yeah. I'm going to sit here and say I forgot about that hey, part. I'm, yeah. you,
0: you get through I, the other side, you make it, and it's like, oh, great. Now i got to oh, pass wow. this
2: nonsense. So, I, ha- no, I hate this word. Pass. I hate the word stupid. This is just stupid as a stupid does. You know, I, there it is. I yeah. honestly don't feel sorry for him, okay? I know no. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be rude. I don't feel sorry for him. Breaking the law in a horrific way. Paid the price. Stupid. Okay. Next. Uh, do you drink coffee, Nick? I do. Well, you know, there's all these different studies coming out. Coffee lovers are going to love this. Up to 25 cups of coffee a day is still safe for heart health. A new study shows. After reading all this stuff that. about 25 cups of coffee, they say, actually can improve health. Hello? All Seriously? Right. And my wife okay. needs to
0: get off my back about my Starbucks habit now.
2: Yeah, well, read this. You got the article in the yeah, outline. Extra, Check
0: it out.
1: Actually, jeez, I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. I would say I do 25 cups, um, but if if it takes that much more to be healthy, I wouldn't complain.
2: I would complain either. But uh, another thing too, Jeopardy. The James Holzhauer footage is leaked on his uh, show, which will be airing tonight. He did not break Ken Jennings' record. He fell short. Ken Jennings uh, won just over 2.5 million. And this is on Jeopardy. And uh, James Holzauer fell short by 58,000. So Ken Jennings still maintains the Jeopardy record. And if I'm not mistaken, that will air it tonight. It's a spoiler. It's already been released in the news. So don't look at me to be the spoiler if you're a huge Jeopardy fan, which I am too. Are you a collector at all, Nick? Do you collect anything in the way of sports memorabilia, anything, uh, military memorabilia, anything?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I would say baseball, baseball cards. I started off with that with my aunt back when I was in elementary school.
2: Perfect. I'm actually grading right now a set I'm planning to buy as a 1956 Topps baseball set that has oh. the Roberto Clemente rookie and Mickey Mantle's, uh, you know, early cards and all. Wow. My,
1: okay. My brother, yeah. I don't have yeah. anything like that in my collection.
2: Oh, uh, it's amazing! It's amazing. But I'm going through it because I, I got a bunch of sets from the 60s. I want to make an offer to buy all the stuff because I've been talking on the show forever. Quality baseball cards, especially in open mm-hmm. wax packs, graded PSA graded cards, they mm-hmm. go up anywhere from 20 to 50% or more a year and I have the sales prices to prove it it's one of the best forms of investment there are you can sell them on eBay and guaranteed gold bricks they fly out the door I like keeping them and putting them in not my home but areas where I keep you know safes with all my collectibles and I just sit on them just sit on them so now the Honus Wagner card Honus Wagner's card it's a 110 year old baseball card it's been considered the most valuable card forever Um, it was Quality. It's a very poor quality card. It's only rated a two out of ten in perfect condition, but that just sold for one point two million dollars. One point two million. A tiny, what they call cigarette card. They used to be in the back of packs of cigarettes. And, um,
0: and, and that is all. all stats are going to say that it, that's probably going to go up in value too.
2: Oh, it will. It because would happen, right? Yeah. The previous yeah. owner paid. It's the previous owner made a few hundred thousand. So you know, it's it's already gone up every time. Absolutely. Now, we all hear these stories when people find stuff in drawers and everything else. An antiques dealer in Scotland bought an ivory chessman for basically $6 in 1964. Okay? He didn't have any idea that he took possession of one of the most famous chess pieces in the world. It stayed in his drawer for 55 years. The Lewis Water, which is the name of the piece, now, after they found it, is going to fetch. This is a chess piece. It's going to fetch $1.3. Piece a chess piece, 1.3 oh. million. Sotheby's oh. expects to receive $1.3 million for this chess piece. Oh my that, goodness. is that crazy? crazy? Attic. Check your oh, attic. That's check, unreal. Yeah. Check your grand, grandparents' attic. Check your parents' attic. I tell everybody, <laughs> check check all attics. Don't be an oh, attic. Yeah. Check the attic. Okay? All good. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, we're going to sign off here, but I want to talk about a feel-good story, something very important to me. I... Donated a uh, champ. I do these championship introductions at brucebuffer.com. I do them in video. I do them in audio, and they're for people to get the feel of being introduced like a champion in the octagon before or in the cage before they walk out to do their fight. This young Irish lad named Rory, he's very young, under ten years old, suffers from cerebral palsy. They were trying to raise money so his mother could buy him an accessible wheelchair van to drive him around. So I donated my services for it, and I sent him off. The person that won the that, that won the championship intro, instead of for themselves, they asked me to do it for Rory, which I did. And I put a video on the internet, um, on my Instagram this weekend, of his reaction as he was listening to it. And I think about it now, and I smile wide, and tears fill my eyes. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. So, for listeners out there, if you have a chance, go to my Instagram at Bruce Buffer UFC and see the reaction of this young man. Uh, just hearing it, the joy of watching a child so happy, especially one that is a champion in his own right for what he deals with in his life, fighting cerebral palsy and being happy for it. When I see this, it's like that story. I cried because I had no shoes and then I saw a man who had no feet. We do not have anything to complain about. We only have things to be happy for. And life is a beautiful thing. I just want to say that if you all get a chance to see it, please share that with me um, and share that share the the happiness and the joy I get from making this young man happy. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. TJ, you saw it, didn't you?
0: Yeah, you sent it to me, and uh, it was great stuff. And you continue to do things like that all the time, Bruce. And and I think you will never probably get sick of that feeling of, of bringing joy to someone's life like that.
2: No, I never will. Never, never will. Thank you, TJ. Nicholas, true was. pleasure. Thank you. Th- thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. Pleasure having you on, sir. Pleasure having you on. I wish you all the best. I look forward to hearing more as your career goes forward. Can't wait to read the book. And once I read the book, I'm sure going to look forward to seeing a movie when it happens. But the doors are always open for you here on It's Time Radio. And myself, again, if we can be of any service to you whatsoever, you let us know. Much appreciated. Same here. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Thank Nick. You. you take care, my friend. All the best you to you, too, sir. You guys.
1: Thank you. The Cheers. Reaper right there.
2: The Reaper. Reaper. I love it. What nice guy
0: for being named the Reaper, you know
2: nice man I've listened to is just the number of kills you can just fast you know just think about it yeah. but we the man's got a great handle on his life and he's gotten past it he's moving forward and I'm just very happy about that TJ anything to tell our audience before we uh, sign off
0: no I already hit on it Invicta FC this Friday night live on UFC Fight Pass please tune in uh finals of our flyweight tournament take place in the main event uh title shot on the line when Deanna Bennett rematches Karina Rodriguez uh that's pretty much it. Uh go over to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash between rounds, check out all my uh, UFC coverage with uh you know the people that I work with. And yeah, that's it.
2: That's awesome. And for me again, you know, my Instagram, Bruce buffer UFC, Twitter at Bruce Buffer. Um looking forward to UFC two thirty eight coming up. Lots of things happening. TJ, I forgot to tell you, I had a meeting with my slot machine people in Sweden. Uh, an all-day meeting, me, sh- meeting with me, showing me all the progress. Again, I put something on Instagram to show that. This, these machines, the Let's Get Ready to Rumble and Time machines are so cool looking. They're doing a great, great job. And uh, everything goes out. My uh, kudos go out to Relax Gaming. Great working with you guys. Really looking forward to what's going to happen in the future. With that being said, everybody, treat everybody around you with respect. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Be a role model in your sphere of influence. Set your goals. Learn about them. Write them down and be the best you can be when you step on that path no matter how it no matter how it goes if you become the best in the world if you become the best at what you do mainly if you give the best effort as you put your foot forward that means you're winning on all accounts and i wish you all the best in your goals and your dreams and your bucket list to be fulfilled with that being said i will see you from the octagon in chicago next saturday we'll be back next week with another great guest take care everybody buffer out
1: Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Touch-free QR code payments. No seller fees until 2021. Not applicable to PayPal Here transactions. Other fees may apply. Shop safe with PayPal. At T-Mobile, you can get two powerful iPhone 11 Pros on us. The three cameras are perfect for capturing my DIY projects. I'm repainting our car.
0: Wow. The ultra-wide camera really captures all the... Uh
1: flames switch today and get two new lines for 90 bucks plus two iphone 11 pros on us with qualifying trading
0: for well-qualified customers plus taxes and fees essentials plan with auto pay phone via 24 credits if you cancel before 24 credits remaining balance on full price of 999 99 for each device may be due contact us qualifying port ins and finance agreements required